When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometres of range. And Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Yes, great to have your company. Thanks to Hayes and Mardo's run home. Of course, Peter Vlail's in for Hayes. Mardo's now gone. He'll return tomorrow between three and five, and I'll do it. Uh, the final run home for the week before Hayes returns next Monday. But it is Sports Day WA time, and we're here for the Kia EV6 GT World Performance Car of the Year. And our friends at Toolmart, the complete tool centre serving WA for over 45 years. We'll have all the uh, trade news uh, coming your way a bit later on, including uh, Aaron Norton talking about his eight-year deal that he signed yesterday. But first, for the good oil for Cobram Estate, Premium Australian Extra Virgin Olive Oil. The big story for me today has been involving the biggest sport on the planet, and that is the World Cup. And the World Cup is considered every four years as the biggest event uh, in world sport. And the 2030 version of the World Cup, which is the 100-year anniversary of the event, is set to be played in Europe and Africa with the surprising addition of South America. In a deal to allow the men's showpiece football tournament to start with a 100th birthday party in Uruguay. Now, FIFA reached an agreement overnight between soccer's continental leaders to accept only one candidate for hosting the 2030 tournament in six countries. Now, the Spain Portugal bid grew to add Morocco this year and now also includes longtime bid rivals Argentina, Paraguay, and Uruguay. And all six national teams will get automatic entry to the 48-team tournament. A key lure of the unprecedented three-continent project is being able to open in the Uruguayan capital of Montevideo, where their Centenario Stadium hosted the inaugural 1930 World Cup final. Here is the FIFA president, Gianni Infantino, announcing... Uh, and the, all the news regarding the FIFA World Cup announcement for 2030. Divided world, FIFA and football are uniting. The FIFA Council representing uh, the entire world of football unanimously agreed to celebrate the centenary of the FIFA World Cup, whose first edition was played in Uruguay in 1930 in the most appropriate way. As a result, a celebration will take place in South America and three South American countries, Uruguay, Argentina and Paraguay, will organize one match each of the FIFA World Cup 2030. The first of these three matches will, of course, be played at the stadium where it all began, in Montevideo's mythical Estadio Centenario, precisely to celebrate the centenary edition of the FIFA World Cup. 
Felicidades Uruguay, Argentina y Paraguay. The FIFA Council also unanimously agreed that the only bid to host the FIFA World Cup 2030 will be the joint bid of Morocco, Portugal and Spain, where 101 games will be played. Mabruk al Maghrib, Parabench Portugal, enhorabuena España, congratulations to Europe, felicitations à l'Afrique. So there you go. Uh, significant announcement. I can understand the thinking about it. Some people are saying it's horrific that it's been spread right across the globe, but it is a special celebration of the centenary of the World Cup, which has uh, produced so many champions over those hundred years, highlighted by just about 20-odd years from its inception with Pelé in the 1950s, where he led Brazil to, of course, uh, World Cup glory. And then we've had Maradona and we've had so many exciting players in between in recent times, Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi, who for the first time as Argentinians captain hoisted the World Cup. So it's going to be a special tournament in 2030. And for me, that is a significant story. And the other thing that's interesting is that the 2034 tournament uh, James Johnson, the head of the Football Federation of Australia, conducted also a press conference today because Gianni Infantino also said that the 2034 tournament will be limited to member nations from Asia, Oceania, with Saudi Arabia also a contender. But he mentioned Asia, where we play, that is the Socceroos, and Oceania, which is also the region where Australia lies. So on the back end of the FIFA Women's World Cup, that was just absolutely gigantic in this country and in New Zealand. The thought of a 2034 tournament down under is uh, quite exciting indeed. I'll speak to Craig Foster a little bit later on in the program to talk about that. Fozzie is certainly very opinionated, gives his thoughts, and is a very educated human being. So he's going to join us a bit later on. For uh, Cobram Estate, that's the big story of the day. Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil, grown, harvested, and first cold-pressed in northern Victoria. For Polaris, Australia's number one selling side-by-side -side brand. Big news regarding Aaron Norton, as we know, last night. The fact that he has decided to be a one-club AFL player for life, signing that monster deal of eight years at the Western Bulldogs. And here is Aaron Norton on that eight-year contract. Sort of pressure relief to get it done and now just sort of focus on footy and, you know, with the group that we got here, which is, you know, the whole reason of signing, yeah, the belief that I have in this group and what I want to achieve here um, at the Bulldogs is, yeah, the reason behind it. And I think when you get drafted by a club and they make you feel so welcome, not only myself, but my whole family back in WA and you build those really strong connections um, with all your teammates and, you know, have some of my best mates here. I have a great connection with Bevo. He's sort of laid back a little bit like myself into the, you know, surfing in the outdoors and, um, yeah, we sort of have that connection and, you know, he's been great for my career so far. He's, he's the one that put me forward at the end of the day and um, turned out all right. So, yeah, I'm thankful for Bevo and um, the club has selected me all way back then. So there you go. That's uh, Aaron Norton uh, talking about his monster deal, eight-year contract. Now, Tom Morris from SEN said that Sydney were certainly moving to try and secure his services and did almost a buddy, and did a buddy, offered him a mammoth 10-year deal. This is what Tom had to say. Which clubs were keen on him most? 
and Collingwood had a little nibble. Mm-hmm. They, they weren't massive on him, but they had a they had a bit of a crack. Got to have a crack. Yeah, I had a crack. They asked the question. Geelong were interested. The West Coast Eagles were interested. Of course. And the Sydney Swans were interested. Now, my information is that the Sydney Swans offered upwards of $11 million across 10 years. Now, what? it was put to me that it was $12 million. Stop. Stop. Yep. Say that one more time. The Sydney Swans offered upwards of $11 million across 10 years. So there you go. That's uh, Tom Morris uh, regarding the deal involving Aaron Norton. Uh, certainly a big uh, sports story uh, today. And uh, also there's been some developments on Clayton Oliver as well, and we'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, the sports stories, thanks to Polaris. The plate clearance deals are on now. Save $2,000 on the Ranger 1,000 EPS. Plus, get $1,000 free accessories. All right, uh, let's head into our top seven uh, biggest stories of the week. Thanks to the all-electric Kia EV6 GT supercar. Number seven. Pointed to a lengthy list of injuries and absences as mitigation. He's urged his players to show the character to get out of the situation they're in. Here's Rashford making good ground. United need that is what they paid the big money for to bring him to the club but it's all about Marcus Rashford's superb run and delivery celebrations tinged with relief from those on the Stratford end as United League Galatasaray won there Sanchez looking long this time Dallow backpedaling making a mess of it is Wilfred Zaha the Manchester United old boy getting Galatasaray back on level terms and boy is he enjoying the moment but it's 1-1 both sides will feel that they're more than capable of winning this is this a moment for Hoyland look at his pace look at his poise and look at the finish it's the night that he's arrived at Old Trafford. Rasmus Hoyland with a goal in each half. Well, when he arrived at Old Trafford, he only scored 26 in his career. Barish Alpha playing it in, and it is 2-2. Lightning strikes twice. The first lead in lasted six minutes. The second one, only four. Actacolo, Galatasaray star, ties it up at 2-2. Actacolo. Ananana make amends. Didn't have to. Davison Sanchez heading it forward. Amrabat has played Icardi onside. This time he does it. Old Trafford stunned. Yes, they got beaten 3-2 in the Champions League. Uh, after two games, Manchester United are bottom of their group and also struggling in the Premier League as well. And there's uh, talk about Eric Ten Hag, certainly uh, maybe in the firing line. And could he be dismissed if their bad record continues? Number six. 
Uh, yeah, I can't take too much credit for many of them. Um, there's a couple of the boys were there in 2015, which um, obviously gives us confidence. But yeah, I don't know. I think we had a really strong era in the early 2000s. Um, I think t uh, one day cricket's a format that's really suited Australian teams of the past. Um, yeah, not only kind of taking the game on with the batting and having some, some good quick bowlers, but even in the field, um, that early kind of 2000s era I grew up watching. Um, yeah, they were, they were amazing, really athletic. So, uh, yeah, hopefully we can carry on. It's a, it's a pretty good history um, we've had in World Cup, so hopefully another one. So that was uh, the captain of the Australian uh, ODI World Cup team, Pat Cummings, talking about uh, the build-up. Of course, Australia play India on Sunday. The first match is underway. I'll bring you up to date on that. England against New Zealand. Number five. In a divided world, FIFA and football are uniting. World football has unanimously agreed on something as important as the hosts of the FIFA World Cup, thus setting another example of how dialogue and mutual understanding can result in agreements where actually everyone wins, in particular the fans, the players, and all the regions of the globe. So, so that was uh, FIFA, more of FIFA World Cup President uh, Gianni Infantino after that announcement today that we covered at the top of the program. Number four. Well, my understanding is there are, were a couple of clubs that offered 10-year deals. 10? Yeah, yeah. So this is the world that we're living in right now. Norton is only 23, so take that into account. But if you're the Western Bulldogs and you don't offer more than, say, six, six feels reasonable to me. I think you're probably on the same page as me. Six more years would be reasonable, but you're going to lose him if you're only offer six, if another club offers 10. Mm, so there you go. That's uh, certainly another journalist, AFL journalist, Josh uh, Gabalich, uh, talking about those uh, couple of clubs offering 10-year deals to Aaron Norton. He's decided to stay, as we know, at the Western Bulldogs for eight. Number three. There's still a long way to go. So that's really important to note that Melbourne is not trying to push him out. Um, but this story emanates from the fact that rival clubs believe that he's gettable for the right price. And they don't think that about Max Gorn. They don't think that mm. about Christian Petrarca. Um, they don't think that about other star players. But Oliver is different. There's a lot going on behind the scenes with Clayton Oliver this year. He has had his most difficult year to endure because of injuries, because of um, off. So his view is that the club mishandled his hamstring injury and that the medical department and the strength and conditioning department didn't do what's best by him. The club's view is that his professionalism wasn't what it should be. They don't doubt his talents. They don't doubt that on the field he's a competitor and he's a star when he plays and when he came back, he was a star. But there is a disconnect between the two at the moment. Does he want to move on? I don't know the answer to that. But it's worth putting on the agenda if Melbourne is open to it for the right deal. They have already fielded inquiries from clubs. That's uh, Tom Morris from SEN talking about Clayton Oliver today. There's been a bit of a further development with Simon Goodwin, the coach of Melbourne, reportedly involved in meetings that have resulted in Oliver being given a stunning ultimatum to change his attitude or change his football club. So the coach is now bought in. And uh, there are reports claiming Oliver now has taken it on the chin and is more likely to remain at the club as a result of those uh, recent demands. Number two. They're five metres out. Kenny goes to the short side. Nathan Cleary. Nathan Cleary. He goes through. Cleary under the post. He has a kick to take the lead. And maybe the Panthers towards a famous three-peat. Full time. The Penrith Panthers three-peat. We've 
you've witnessed one of the most remarkable comeback games you'll ever see. And Nathan Cleary. Champions want the ball when everything is on the line. And Nathan, with a cape on, has stolen their third in a row, the Penrith Panthers. Yeah, just an amazing grand final on Sunday, the NRL grand final. And as you heard, Nathan Cleary, the star, a winning try, full-time whistle there, and they came down from 26-8 behind with 18 minutes to go to win 28-26 to make it three in a row. Number one. And so ends one of history's great grand finals. Collingwood take the final step on the stairway to Premiership Heaven. Flies, pies, win the close one. Collingwood are Premiers in 2023. And there you go, the AFL Grand Final, uh, the top of the top seven biggest stories of the week, all thanks to the all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometres of range. We're going to take a break. We're going to talk more about uh, the World Cup of 2030. Craig Foster's going to join us on the program. Just some news coming in from uh, England. The MCC say that one member has been expelled, another suspended for four and a half years, and a third suspended for 30 months for abuse of the Australian team in the long room on day five of the Ashes test this summer. So just repeating, uh, we saw that incident. We saw the likes of certainly Usman Khawaja involved in exchange with members there in the long room and also a couple of other Australians as they were leaving after the dismissal, the controversial dismissal of Johnny Bairstow. And now the MCC has investigated and some uh, few months after the event say that one member has been expelled, another suspended for four and a half years, and a third suspended for 30 months for the abuse that was hurled at the Australian cricket team in the long room on day five of that Ashes test this summer. We'll take a break, come back with more in a moment here on Sports Day WA, thanks to the Kia EV6 GT, World Performance Car of the Year, and Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 45 years. Welcome back to Sports Day WA, wherever you may be listening across this big state of ours. Uh, great to have your company as we look at the big sports stories of the day. And one that certainly caught my attention is that there looks like being a unique 2030 World Cup. And it's set to be played in Europe and Africa with the surprising addition of South America. Now... I've worked on a couple of World Cups. I've uh, attended a couple more World Cups, and it's often been in a centralised location. But as we saw with the FIFA Women's World Cup, sometimes it can be separated by two nations that are in close proximity geographically. But this is certainly something out of the box. And a man that I thought could comment on this is a man that has been involved in football all his life. Uh, He played, of course, in the local league here, represented Australia in the late 1990s, a very, very respected broadcaster as well. We're talking about Craig Foster. Craig, thanks for joining us on the program. No, that's okay. Yeah, I'm trying to make sense of it as much as you are. So <laughs> let's, have a go. let's see. Let's see where we arrive at. I'm just wondering how it's going to work now. FIFA reportedly reached an agreement overnight between soccer's continental leaders to accept only one candidate for hosting the 2030 tournament, but in six countries. So let's just go through the dynamics here, Craig. The Spain-Portugal bid grew to add Morocco this year and now also includes long-time bid rivals Argentina, Paraguay and Uruguay. 
That's right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so one thing we can say about the bids for all of these major tournaments now is they've become much more complicated than in the past. One thing that FIFA and uh, the IOC, the Olympics, for example, wanted to try and move away from was a, a large bunch you know, of multiple bidders, all of whom were spending huge amounts of funds, government funds and otherwise, on trying to put bids together. Of course, what that meant was a lot of largesse, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of financial waste, and a lot of corruption across both of the organisations uh, that we saw back as far as you know, 2010 with Qatar and Russia. So we're seeing, much like the presidency of FIFA and, and of the AFC in which Australia sits, um, you know, this kind of trend of everyone coming together and just coalescing around a single person, in this case, a single bid. So the, the single bids is not a great surprise. Um, the, the financial cost of a FIFA World Cup, particularly a male World Cup, um, is you know, still extremely high. And so we're seeing a lot of the bidding of major sporting events now coming out of the golf area and particularly a huge financial investment in all of sport. Golf is well known with live but also particularly in football now from uh, Saudi Arabia, following on from Qatar and Bahrain and others. So I say that because uh, you know they're also talking about a bid in the next 25 days for 2034. In relation to 2030, yes, there was, uh, uh, as you said, there was uh, Portugal, uh, Spain and Morocco all collaborating on a bid. Um, and whilst this is all new, as you said, Australia and New Zealand just were co-hosts and that was hugely successful. We saw this also across the Euros recently, which was across quite a number of countries, uh, only uh, what three years ago now, uh, across all of Europe. Um, so sharing the financial burden and allowing other countries to participate can be a very positive thing. One of the problems that we see with it is the additional cost for fans to continue to travel across borders and further distances. And of course, when it comes to climate change and climate action that sport is supposed to be not just concerned about, but taking the lead on, uh, then it can be really damaging to that. We saw reports out of the, you know, uh, the recent uh, male Euro back in 2021 uh, about you know, a huge lift in emissions because people are having to take flights all around Europe in order to support just a, a single team uh, rather than, you know, just staying and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, travelling proximally. So so what the odd thing about the bid for 2034 that's been announced is that not only will those three countries collaborate, which may be fine, but then there's going to be more games played in South America. Right? Mm, <laughs> mm. <laughs> because it is, you see, the, the centenary, of course. The first FIFA World Cup was in 2030, famously in Uruguay. And so they've tried to accommodate that, it seems, by taking some games, um, not just to Uruguay, but also, in fact, to uh, Argentina uh, and Chile. So that's a very odd uh, way to bring the two issues together. I'll tell you what I like is the romance of the World Cup. It's, it's got everything, and this is going to be interesting in 2030. But what I really like, because I have a connection with this, is that a Kia Lua of this unprecedented three-continent project is being able to open in the first game in the Uruguayan capital of Montevideo, uh, the Centenario Stadium, which hosted the inaugural 1930 World Cup final. And I remember, Fozzie, back in 2001, late in 2001, when the soccerers played Uruguay 
at the yeah. Centenario yeah. Stadium. And I had the privilege of calling that with the late Johnny Warren and Clinton Gribers, who both have left us. And it was a special moment oh. in my life and also a special moment in Australian football. And the fact that you, they're going back to open this World Cup at the venue that started all this is, uh, again, the romantics of it all. Yeah, I think that's right. My expectation was that the 2030 World Cup for the centenary would return to South America. Now, the question was whether Uruguay are willing or capable of hosting singularly. I think there was a bit of an assumption that might not be the case, and therefore that they might collaborate uh, with, you know, in this case, uh, uh, so Uruguay and perhaps um, Argentina, for example, um, with, you know, more stadiums and, and collective infrastructure that was going to work. That's what I expected. So it's clearly been some sort of a political uh, outcome here whereby they've said, for some reason, they support the you know European and African, as you say, with Morocco bid, but they also, of course, want to still have South America involved. So, um, you know, having uh, Montevideo, uh, you know, having Uruguay involved, I think, in in essence, is wonderful. But it's a bit of a, <laughs> it seems a bit of a mess with you know kind of typical FIFA as to how they've come to this resolution. I you know I expected. This world, I think everyone expected this World Cup to go back to South America. What I, what I would say is, and I'm not privy to the politics of, you know, I'm not involved in this, I'm not involved in the conversations or the discussions, but my guess is this, that uh, there's no question that there was never a question that Saudi Arabia were going to get a World Cup. Infantino, the president, is a huge supporter of them uh, and the money that they're putting in, including for various uh, marketing rights and other things. They've bought Newcastle United, Manchester United, um, they've bought you know a huge number of players, including Cristiano Ronaldo and others. They are literally investing uh, billions of dollars in football right now, and that is in uh, overwhelmingly in order to be able to host the World Cup. They were not happy that their regional uh, regional well, um, I was going to say allies actually, in many respects enemies, because you remember in recent years there was some diplomatic incidents and tension between Qatar and Saudi Arabia. Mm. And Saudi Arabia tried to use Infantino as the president to open up the Qatari World Cup to allow them, and they brought Kuwait into the equation, to try and do a co-hosting bid just for last year. Now, this I'm only going back here three or four years when there was a, a, a blockade of uh, Qatar and uh, and the port um, you know, between uh, Saudi Arabia and Qatar. So... There was a, uh, an attempt to use the politics of football and broader geopolitics for Saudis to get involved in last year's World Cup. They were desperate to be in that because of the prestige, I think, of you know the, the, the host nation being in the Middle East. They wanted to, if not be the first, be one of the first. Yeah. That wasn't successful. The Qataris said, no, we're going to host it ourselves. Uh, and Infantino tried to bring that to pass and it didn't work. So part of the payoff of that is that Saudi were going, are going to host one. Now, there was talk that they wanted the 2030, which is hugely, um, you know, memorable uh, and important date, you know, the centenary. And I would imagine that because now they're talking about uh, Saudi Arabia with 2034, and therefore there seems to have been some type of bargain to say to Spain, Portugal and Morocco, well, look... Um, you know, these guys are going to have 2034 now. So if we give it to South America, you won't be till 2038. 
and therefore, you know, why don't you guys come together and just do a bit of a hodgepodge in 2030? Everyone's happy. We'll do a few in South America. You guys can have a Europe and Africa. We'll talk about three continents. And because we all know that Saudi Arabia, you know, the, the, the big outcome of this is that Saudi Arabia want to get 2034. Mm. That's, so, that's ultimately how so people let's, work. So let's look at 2034, because out of the dialogue when they announce this unique 2030 World Cup is that it will be limited. This is 2034 to member federations from Asia and Oceania, and you mentioned where Saudi Arabia fit in this. Is there hope yep. that Australia might be in the 2034 member federations mm. mix uh, for that year? Okay, that's a very, very good question because um, uh, we don't know the answer. No one knows the answer except if they're talking directly to Infantino. Um, but what I would say is I'd be surprised if, uh, if uh, Saudi Arabia want to open it up at all. Uh, my understanding is that they want to be seen now as a central key destination for sports, tournaments, events, uh, you know, and a kind of central part of the world where sport can now be centralised. And one of the reasons to that is because of a climate action and, you know, and the limiting of carbon emissions. And people are coming to terms with the fact that these major tournaments mean a huge amount of travel, a huge amount of new infrastructure, and, and you know, that that's not always terribly positive. So they want to make themselves as a, as a region or as a country whereby sporting events can actually be hosted in perpetuity, you know, including uh, winner sports events, you know, indoor. So this is part of the future uh, project of the Saudi Arabian uh, uh, prince, Mohammed bin Salman. So therefore... Uh, my understanding is that they want to host it solely in 2034. So what's been said to others within Asia and Oceania is you've only got 25 days to bid. Now, that's obviously patently, you know, to, or to at least to express that you are going to put in a formal bid. Now, that's ridiculous. But, of course, given that we just had the, the uh, a female football World Cup here in Australia, all of those conversations would have been ongoing throughout that time. So Football Australia would, would have known, I, I would hope, exactly where this was going to land. The question is for Australia, do we bid against Saudi Arabia? I would have thought, given that the president of the AFC immediately came out and supported the Saudis, and he's Bahraini, uh, Salman, uh, I would have thought that that's probably unlikely. Australia would likely be trying to trade whatever capital and leverage we have with Saudi Arabia and the others to perhaps be saying, well, we'll all swing our support behind you for 34 and we want 38. Um, so it becomes complex because it, it's supposed to be on a rotation basis. Uh, and you know, once it comes back to Asia with Saudi Arabia in 34, it's unlikely that Australia can be involved for a, a, a you know, significant amount of time. Mm. So your question's a good one because Australia would have to now decide, do we bid against or immediately is there an opportunity to try and actually collaborate uh, with Saudi, uh, with other uh, Asian nations to make it a broad AFC bid. I don't know how realistic that is. And Australia would, um, I think, but certainly should have issues um, that would have to be kind of threshold issues with Saudi Arabia in terms of their human rights and other areas that would need to be overcome before we should even be thinking about you know, uh, participating in any form of, of joint bid. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Fozzie, thanks for joining us. Just before we let you go, the A-League is about to start uh, our very own local domestic competition. 
Uh, you're looking forward to it, uh, and uh, let's, yeah. hope, let's hope we see a, a really good season. I know we're excited here at the Perth, Corey. I think they've uh, secured yeah. a very good coach in Alan Stadjic. Uh, I did something with he and Tony Popovich, uh, Melbourne Victory, over mm. here for a couple of mm. friendies. It was good to catch up with them. I'm looking forward to the upcoming season. Yeah, so am I. Yeah, look, uh, Stadjic did well with Philippines there, you know, uh, previously to that. He made a big contribution in turning around Central Coast Mariners. I must say, Paul Ocon did before that as well. He actually did a fabulous job, Ocon, when he came in uh, and, you know, and turned them around from, you know, um, kind of uh, also-rans or hopeless for a couple of years to actually really competitive, uh, beating Sydney up there and playing, you know, really good attacking football with youngsters. And then Stadjic contributed further to that. And then, of course, you saw last year, you know, that amazing grand final. So, look, the, the A-League's women and men, you know, is starting, which is uh, fantastic. Uh, you know, there's been some brilliant uh, international women come into the competition as well, which is great to see. A lot of excitement building, you know, post uh, uh, Women's World Cup, which was just unbelievable. Uh, so let's hope that it is going to be a, a fabulous season. I'm very, very excited about it. I know that you, I know you had the glory had a win, as I understand it, 3-1. And then, uh, and then in the second game, uh, Melbourne victory came back. So hopefully that gives us a sense of the number of goals that are going to be scored this year, the attacking football we're going to see. Some good coaches continuing to grow. We've got coaches doing great all around the world now, been talked about. Not just Ange at Tottenham is doing unbelievable. But, uh, you know, Muskie's been talked about now for the Rangers job in Scotland. And uh, our coaches are doing really great. So I'm looking forward to seeing how the football evolves. And you're doing really great on Stan Sports as well. And uh, thank you very much for joining us, Fozzie. It's always a pleasure to have a chat to you. And uh, we'll talk again soon. We certainly will. Thanks, mate. Okay, Craig Foster joining us here on Sports Day WA. Thanks to Kia, the EV6 GT, the World Performance Car of the Year. And also our friends at Toolmart, the Complete Tool Centre, and they've been serving WA for over 45 years. Don't go away. You can join us on the Tempera Bedshed text machine, 0487 736 736. What do you think about this World Cup bid? I reckon we'll warm to it. It's pretty horrendous at the moment, the way it's all being planned out, because we're not used to it. We'll have to see the dynamics on how it works. Uh, we'll talk more about that uh, during uh, you know, the next few weeks as things start to crystallise on how the format of that World Cup will play out. Come back with more after this here on Sports Day WA. Great to have your company. Let's uh, update what's happened uh, in AFL trade news today. Not forgetting, Continental Tyres brings you AFL trade radio and you can catch it on the SEN network. Firstly, uh, here's David Walls, who's the head of the list at the Fremantle Dockers talking about Joel Hamling and the interest that's been showed at this stage by Sydney. Uh, he, uh, look, I'm unsure. I got a message last night for his manager, Colin Young, that um, he'll, he'll make his mind up in the next day or two. Um, so, yeah, unsure at this stage. Yeah, he, he needs to explore his options and, and whether or not he'll be able to get more opportunity from, um, I guess, a playing perspective, but also um, security with his contract as well. So... Um, that's for yeah, Joel. Joel to work through. We'd love love him to stay, um, but he's actually a free agent too. So mm. that's a rule that goes back to the delisted free agents, um, and that's that's from his time at Geelong when he was delisted there. So based on those retrospective rules, he's he's now a free agent. So that's uh, David Ball from Fremantle. His update on Joel Hamling at the moment. Uh, some good news for the West Coast Eagles. GWS big man Matt Flynn uh, has decided to come west and be part of the West Coast Eagles next season. And this is what he said on leaving the Giants. Yeah, I, I think that's it for me at the moment. Um, 
like you said, at this stage of my career, I've been around for a while now and haven't really been able to play consistent AFL football. And um, I guess I just wanted to put myself in a in a spot where I've got the opportunity to do that. And I guess I just know there's still a lot of work to go. Bailey Williams had a really strong year last year, and also this year, and um, it's not going to be easy for me. But I think there's a good chance that we can um, get over there and do some good things together. And I guess yeah, just looking for that opportunity was the main thing behind it all. And just in some other news, as we know, Hawthorne are still in the hunt for possibly pick one. Devin Robinson, as we mentioned, has decided to stay at the Brisbane Lions for another couple of years. And Xavier Dersma from Port Adelaide is looking to greener pastures as well. And Hawthorne are in the box seat to land maybe a Choll of the Gold Coast. So Choll is looking at possibly his third AFL club. Uh, those uh, AFL trade updates, thanks to Continental Tyres. Let's update the cricket at the Wacker. As we know, Victoria made 256 in their first innings. Uh, WA travelling beautifully at two for 230. The men to go, Sam Whiteman, last night for five. And only one wicket has fallen so far today. That was Teague Wiley, who was bowled by Mitchell Perry for 94. Unlucky not to make a century. Cam Bancroft is 119 not out. Jaden Goodwin, 10 not out. And WA are two for 230 and travelling beautifully. On the other side of the break, uh, the World Cup is underway as well in India. England are taking on New Zealand. We'll update you with that uh, straight after the break here on Sports Day WA. Yes, uh, great to have your company. And let's just update what's happening in the Cricket World Cup, the ODI Cricket World Cup being played in India. The opening match is underway. It's England against New Zealand. New Zealand won the toss and decided to put England into bat. And England currently are three for 100. Three for 100 in the 18th over. Johnny Bairstow, who opened the batting, was out for 33. Uh, David Mullen was out for 14. And just to Smith, a very dangerous player, Harry Brook, he was out caught by Conway off Ravindra for 25. Moen Ali has come to the crease. He's one not out. And Joe Root is still there on 26. So just repeating, three, four, 101 as they get a single. In this, the 18th over, wickets to Henry Santner and Ravindra for New Zealand. As we know, the Australians play host nation India in a big one on Sunday. And let's hope they go okay. That update, thanks to Irrigear. Irrigear is here. And let's just relive 2019, four years ago, because the World Cup, when it comes to the 50-over side, the ODI is played every four years. Let's go back four years and catch the final moments. Two to win. Guttel's going to push for two. They've got to go. It's got to throw. has got to go to the keeper's end. He's got it. England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. What a World Cup final that was back in 2019 between England and New Zealand. Came down to the final ball, and that was Ian Smith with the commentary there. Let's hope we see a similar World Cup being played, and let's hope we see Australia possibly getting through to the final. And in fact, um, yesterday, Barrett Sanderason predicted that maybe Australia and South Africa could contest the final come the middle of next month. Uh, firstly, now that was for Irrigear, which offers expert advice and better irrigation solutions to save time and water. Irrigear is here. Well, the leg up is Australia's fastest growing tipping service. Here's Blake Johnston. 
G'day, fellas. Let's head to the nation's capital for our best of the day tomorrow. Canberra, race two, number seven, Sam Dastin. I liked his win first up for the new stable. He was 36 days between runs. He was back in trip, but he proved too strong late. And then he backed up seven days later, getting up to 2,100 metres, and he didn't have the best of luck. I liked his work through the line. I think he peaks here over 2,000 metres, maps to get every possible chance, and I think he can only improve on that effort. So that is Canberra, race two, number seven, Sam Dustin. Good luck if you follow, fellas. Yes, you can get a leg up on the bookies with Australia's fast-growing tipping service, thelegup.com.au. Tomorrow night, Perth Wildcats take on the Adelaide 36ers. Tip-off is at 6.30, and you can join the Red Army this NBL season by becoming a Perth Wildcats member today. Just log online and enjoy the fruits of being a Perth Wildcats member. Don't forget that Beaumont Tiles is giving away a trip for two to American football's biggest game. Now, it's worth over $70,000. All you need to do is just shop in-store at Beaumont's before November 12, and you're in with a chance to win. T&Cs do apply. Well, that's basically the program for today. Uh, Tomorrow, there is no Sports Day WA, but we will have the run home, and I'll be uh, joining uh, Damian Martin uh, in place of Hayes again for the final time this week tomorrow between 3 and 5. Dawn Gleeson is actually going to join us because it is a pink match tomorrow night, Uh, the pink uh, breast cancer awareness night tomorrow night at the Perth Wildcats, the seventh year this has been instigated. So make sure you wear pink if you get to the RAC Arena tomorrow night to see the Perth Wildcats in action. And we'll talk to Dawn Gleeson tomorrow on the program who has beaten breast cancer on two occasions. And, of course, the wife of former championship-winning, multiple championship-winning coach in Trevor Gleeson. So looking forward to that chat between 3 and 5 tomorrow. Well, that's about it. Thanks for joining us. Uh, All thanks to the Kia EV6 GT, the World Performance Car of the Year, and also Toolmart, the Complete Tool Centre. They've been serving WA for over 45 years. Thanks for your time on Sports Day WA this week. I look for your company from 5 o'clock on Monday. See you tomorrow for the run home, and then have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us, everyone.